Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Incoming Chat Live. My name is Marcus, and this is the podcast from Live Chat. And something that my boss told me to uh, say <laughs> is that don't forget to subscribe to our channel if you want to learn more about uh, branding, for example, and, and the content strategies that we're going to talk today, plus many more things. Subscribe to our channel, like this video, and enjoy the content. Today, we're going to be talking about finding a voice, a brand voice. And uh, I know a lot of you never really consider this as a main thing or something very important, but this is crucial in order for you to create a real brand. And for that, I could talk for hours, but I wanted to bring someone who could talk for four hours. So uh, <laughs> I'm at a Helen Pitfield today. Hey, Helen, how you doing? Hey, all good, thank you. How are you doing? Good, good. Helen's been writing for a very long time. I don't want to say the, how many years, but tons of years. <laughs> And um, she is her own CEO of her own um, content production and content strategy company. And we're going to get into the details on how to create a brand, how to listen to your customer when you're creating the brand, and a lot more. But I'm going to start with letting you, Helen, introduce yourself, what you've been doing for the last few years. Yeah, what have I been doing? Um, so, yeah, so why am I talking about this? So first and foremost, I'm a copywriter. Um, that's my main... That's my main thing. So seven years ago, I moved out of London. I used to work at a big ad network dealing with performance, you know, for big brands and all of that kind of jazz. And then I moved to a funny little island in Thailand, which is why I'm in a funny little house uh, made of coconut wood. Um, and I was a scuba diving instructor for a bit. Um, turns out that it's not as lucrative as it is um, glamorous. So I started to look for other ways I could make money online and uh, stumbled across, you know, writing content, essentially. Um, so I started to do that not, and I did very bad paid things, <laughs> badly paid <laughs> things for a while. I wrote uh, blog posts on garage door springs, like 20, a series of 20 on garage door springs, for example. Eventually, I figured out that if you do the right kind of writing for the right kind of client, it has a lot of value to that client. So over the last seven years, it's become, you know, like a, a niche of mine. I mainly work with SaaS companies. So I've got on the one side, I'm a copywriter. And on the other side, I'm a co-founder co of the product on borders.com, where we review people's copy and like that first run experience of using a product. Um, so that's what I'm doing now. But yeah, today I'm wearing the copywriter hat. I guess, because we're going to talk about brand voice. And yes, voice I'm probably going to, I'm going to get you to wear a few different hats today for sure. Uh, and, <laughs> but, but I want, I want to start with the, the key question and, and especially for SaaS um, founders or marketers that they're just starting and they're trying to evaluate where to focus their energy right now. And I want to ask you, like, <laughs> why is it important to have a brand voice? So if you don't have a brand voice, you're just going to sound exactly like everybody else. You're not going to be memorable. You're not necessarily even going to be trustworthy. So maybe I should explain a bit what I mean by a brand voice first. So then I can kind of explain the value off the back of that. And I'm going to do that by stealing somebody else's words, which is really authentic of me. But his name <laughs> which is, is very is common among, <laughs> among you guys. <laughs> but I really like his, um, his explanation for what a brand voice is. His name is Justin Blackman. And he um, describes himself as a brand ventriloquist because he uh, has a kind of scientific method for 
finding out somebody's existing brand voice and being able to create a guide out of it so other people can follow it. So that's something he's amazing at. And the way he defines brand voice is he calls it the WTF, which in its own <laughs> way kind of tells you a bit about how Justin's own brand voice, <laughs> right? But um, different to the ones we're used to seeing. So the first one is words. Um, and by that, he means the vocabulary that you use in your brand. So, for example, you, you probably, we, we joked around on LinkedIn quite a lot, haven't we, about people yes. using boring biz, buzzwords or too much jargon that clients won't understand. Um, of course, there is some jar, buzzwords that kind of are like a, a kind of a shorthand that, that bring brand and customer together. Um, and it would be weird if you avoided saying those those particular terms but sometimes there's just too much of it so we joke about that but you need to understand what what you, you need to choose which words you're going to use which ones you you might even have like a whole block like, of words that you're like use. these are banned and <laughs> <laughs> um, so so that's like the first pillar of the w um and the t is for tone so tone is like you know, are you humorous? Are you straight shooting? Are you kind of, do you have a whimsical brand like Innocent Smoothies, for example, kind of whimsical? You have a sense of humor in your brand, um, but it might not be, you know, might not be beneficial for, say, you know, a lawyer who deals with probate to, you know, to have yeah, exactly. like a lot of humor in their brand. So, you know, what's right and what's the right kind of humor? Um, or, or the right kind of straight shooting, so it's not boring, or you know, it, you don't want to, you want to be confident. You know, so it's figuring out that tone and the emotion that your voice invokes as well. Um, so that's the T, and then the F. He uses the word frequency to talk about cadence in language. So cadence is, uh, say, say Dave Gerhardt, who we all see talking talking on LinkedIn a lot about you know using short choppy copy he's a copy copywriting copywriter lover so love him for that so he talks about you know it's got to be short choppy copy um but some people actually do really well with the words worthy flowery flowing floaty kind of language where the sentences run on a little bit and you know if you've got a brand that sells you know aromatherapy oils or um you know, yoga retreats, then that kind of slightly more flowery, floaty, longer language sentences might be a better kind of cadence for yeah, your brand. Yeah, of course. So, you know, understand. So, so that's what brand voice is. And the reason why it's important is because if you get it wrong, no one's going to relate to you. <laughs> that's probably a big problem if you're trying to sell something for sure. Right. So, it, you know, when, when we're putting content out there, whether it's a video like this or a blog or your website or a landing page, something like really critical where you're actually asking for the sale, it's very much the same as if you're sitting down face to face and, you know, maybe I'm trying to sell you my, my terrible old iPhone 7, but you've got to trust me first, right, before you will sit down and have that conversation. So I think part of it is about building trust, but there's a whole lot more to it which i can go down the rabbit hole if you want me oh, to. We, we, yeah I, i'm definitely going to take you down the rabbit hole with this because uh, <laughs> one of the things that uh, it really caught my attention when i invited you to come it was how much you sort of mark the the fact that it's the customers that are going to guide you into finding that voice it's not what you feel 
Like for example, in my case, I, I took the, the opposite approach in LinkedIn. I was like, screw it. I'm just going to be myself and let's see what happened. And gladly it worked. Mm -hmm. um, but for brands, it's not that easy because after all brands, they need to become sort of a persona, but a persona that managed to sell their product, right? Right. So how do so, customers influence this? Right. So, I mean, there's, you probably are picking up on things that you don't even realize you're picking up on, right? You, you post a lot on LinkedIn and you will notice, even if you're not necessarily like, um, like doing loads of strategy where you're checking which post worked and, you know, was it the tone? Was it like not funny enough or was it too funny? Or, you know, you may, even if you're not sitting down and dissecting it like that, like someone like Justin would do, you do are getting this feedback. Right. You're getting this feedback as to, you know, are people responding? Are they engaging, et cetera, et cetera. Now, when it gets difficult, you're, the, you're a brand ambassador, right? So you're one person out there with your voice. Um, and that also means consistency. When you start to get other people perhaps ghostwriting a blog for you because you get so busy, um, somebody's ghostwriting a blog. Well, it needs to sound like you, yeah. you know, because it and, and there's only one of you. So how do you do that and make it authentic, um, you know, and not be fibbing and still have it be your content and the way that you speak um, without having kind of some sort of brand voice guide? Now, I'm not saying everybody needs to go out and spend like thousands of dollars right now on a, a brand voice guide because there's like one main, the main thing that everybody is sitting on a goldmine of is this voice of customer data. Um, and that can at least answer that first, the first of those three letters, the words part. It might not be able to help you with, you know, cadence and tone so much, but it's one thing. You're sitting on so many words and you probably don't even know it. Even small startups are sitting on lots and lots of words. So what do I mean by that, I guess? So... Um, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm getting it super clear, which is, which is amazing. And I have a question for you after you finish with the point, but I'll let you Yeah. Yeah, so, um, so there's loads of sources where you can get voice of customer data. So, for example, I'm, like, I'm talking to somebody, you know, yeah, we, we can mention live chat, for example. You're having conversations with people, real customers or potential customers. That's a whole bunch of voice of customer data. You can find out, instead of guessing what kind of words they would use to describe a problem they're having or a desire that they have you can actually go through and mine that now it's not a sexy job <laughs> mining through it <laughs> but the results are because there's a real difference between get explaining or, or mirroring somebody's pain point and saying this is this the problem you have yes it is okay well here's the solution in your own words with, versus, you know, just like car salesman railroading somebody, trying to railroad somebody into a sale. And um, there's there already a question jumped in the, in the chat about the words, just so we can stick to the subject. And um, if you can give an example of how or what kind of words you say is, is you banned. Uh, like more specific, so for example, with your brand... So with my brand, I mean, nothing's really banned with my brand. I mean, I, I might not say the C word <laughs> on LinkedIn because that might um, raise some eyebrows. But there, there, there's chocolate? not a lot of that. <laughs> chocolate, yeah. So there's certain words I might think twice about because that I might use if I was talking to a friend. Um, and, and this is where I think people get confused about 
authenticity, right? And, and this comes up a lot because just because I might say it in a bar doesn't mean I would necessarily say it at my grandma's house or to uh, somebody I've met for the first time because I don't know how that's going to sit with them. But I have a whole armory of vocabulary that I can use. So what you need, I guess the things that you need to figure out in terms of words you don't want to use is if, if there's words that trip your customers up. So say you're selling something a bit technical and you keep talking about um, enterprise resource planning and they don't know what that means, then, you know, maybe you need to use a different word, you know. So, you know, a, a software that helps you um, connect all of your back office. Because I, mean, I, I, I know what you mean. Because even, even though you want to... You want to sound knowledgeable. You don't want to sound as smart as. I mean, you don't want to sound like you're condescending yeah. your client. And you don't want to completely shut them out in the dark either. So as part of voice of customer research I was doing for a client just the other day. So part of what I do is I'll, I'll interview people as well. So I'll use things like surveys. I'll go through, you know, chat data. I'll go through reviews on, you know, Captera and G2 and, and look for how people are, are talking about um, you know, their experiences of products and their problems and so on. Um, as part of that, I was interviewing a journalist, actually, because this is a tool um, for journalists that I'm, I'm going to try and, you know, help these guys sell um, through the power of copy. Um, and he's, an auto, it's, he, he's a journalist for an auto magazine. He said even he goes to press conferences sometimes and he knows all of this stuff. Sometimes people just do a barrage of technical talk and he just wants to be able to lift something up that he can then relate to other human beings. So hmm. even if somebody is very knowledgeable, they don't necessarily want this barrage of, you know, difficult jargon laden language all the time. You may have some words that you cannot escape that are that shorthand that I mentioned, but You've got to also think about like the cognitive load that you're putting on somebody. You know, if we were to try and speak in like, you know, Shakespearean language for the duration, you know, we could probably understand each other, but oh my goodness, we'd be draining and oh, yeah. we've all got other <laughs> things to do. <laughs> so, um, so th there's that to, to consider as well. Um, you know, making it easy and clear for your customers to understand by using the words they use. No, I mean, I, I had to go through the same because when I became a brand ambassador, I, I would just still be myself on LinkedIn until as I get feedback from the company, obviously. Like, um, we don't want to criticize Facebook too much because we might work with them eventually. And we don't <laughs> want to kill that one. Or yeah. even, I mean, I, I curse a lot when I talk to people. I, like, it's just my nature. But I really stayed away uh, from that in LinkedIn, for example. I, mm -hmm. I I might throw a joke, but I will not curse a lot. Even though in LinkedIn, I mean, yeah. you've seen it, a lot of people you go straight forward to the bah, fah, yeah. fah, fah, whatever. <laughs> and it works for them. And, and I'm, I'm happy for them. But you're right. I mean, it's, it's, it's just that, that little connection, like you said, with you, you will not say some words in your grandma's house. Yeah. And I think, you know, it depends. You've, you've got such a broader audience as well. There's bound to be quite a chunk of those people that, would be put off by that so on the one hand I talk about you know niching down and you know if you're maybe you maybe I would want to be known as the sweariest sweary copywriter you know for people who want sweary copy and that could be a niche in itself and then it didn't matter if I offended everybody else 
um, because I would just have everybody who wants curse words um, in yeah. their copy come flooding to me. So, you know, it, it, it's that crossover between, you know, being authentic and, you know, where, where you're authentic and so is your audience and finding that crossing point because we're multifaceted people. This is why I think people get confused about authenticity is we're, we're not, you know, we, um, you know, we're multifaceted. We're not just the same thing all day. No, you know, exactly. we have but different hats. I, we have I, different. I have this feeling attitudes. that um, for a while it was sort of trendy to curse in, in your copy. Um, I remember seeing so many companies saying, get you done. Oh, yeah. my God. They're talking directly to my soul. Yeah, I know exactly so, so what you mean. Was it, is it a Gary V thing or a Grant uh, I think it's a Gary V thing. Is it Gary V thing? Yeah. yeah. I think yeah, Gary pushes for that. Like, <clears throat> but um, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's sort of like the tough love approach for Gary. It's, it's, it, he always like, he, to me, he sounds like a dad trying to be tough with a kid, even though he still loves them, but he wants them yeah. to toughen up, getting but ready this for is, their this real works with his audience. So that is, you know, a brand. For, he's got a clear brand voice. Just because a lot of this is when this is when it becomes a bit problematic, I guess, is when a load of people jump on that bandwagon. Not only is it, you know, kind of diluting his style a little bit, or, or you know, this everything was 10x for a while. Everything became 10x, and it's like everyone jumps on the 10x bandwagon. Oh yeah, 10x this, 10x that. So whoever comes up with that first, and that gets diluted, and then nobody believes it because you know lots of people are promising to 10x your everything from your i don't know your sleeping habits to your you know 10x your dog's yeah. haircut or whatever I might, but <laughs> i might start my own like just turn it down turn it down yeah, yeah so it, it i i guess it can be um you know with the curse words and things like that you know that that's down to whether your audience will accept it and it doesn't really matter if you will offend some people if they're not your ideal customer so that's where the brand voice and the voice of customer piece comes together and becomes really important is you need to understand how your customers speak um, to know what words to use. And that doesn't mean changing your whole vocabulary to, to suit them. You, you, just because you're like, oh, right, we're not slagging off Facebook. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, not we're not going to be mean about this brand or we're, you know, we're not going to be so sarcastic anymore. It doesn't mean that you're changing everything about you. You're just... You know, you're, you're choosing the parts of you that cross over best with your customers and with the company vision as well and where you're going. So it has to be, it has to be a, a good mix, right? I mean, I know customers want the thing, but you also have uh, a company soul, a company vision, a company attitude. Yeah. Yes, and I think sometimes you'll find, you know, it, it, even with small companies, you'll have maybe a CEO or somebody else even in, in, in that small company who has been doing a lot of the communication you know if they're really tiny the ceo has probably been you know he's probably the cto as well and also doing you know product demos CMO, um, yeah, and, <laughs> yeah and the cmo um but you know there, there may be something about you know if if you're gaining traction there's something that he's getting right so which are the parts you know of his voice that are resonating well is it the language he, he uses is it you know something about the tone and the rapport that he builds um, you know, it's unlikely to be the way that he's writing yet because he, you know, if you're that early stage, you're, like I say, doing everything. Um, but but part of it you can often get from, you know, if I was looking at your uh, brand voice 
um, for your brand, I would be like pulling apart everything you've written and said um, and, and, you know, using that towards the brand voice as well. So, yeah, you don't have to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but you can't ignore how your customers speak. Do you think sometimes brands, they, um, they put so, like, too much pressure, like, especially now that you mentioned the, the CEO um, sort of case? Because I've seen a lot of brands that they have a person in the front. It's like the face of the company. I mean, start with Tesla, for example. If, mm -hmm. if Elon leaves uh, Tesla, Tesla's gone. Even I, I'm, I'm not supposed to slag any brands, I forgot. But, um, <laughs> but again, I mean, if Elon's not there, what, a little bit. Um, Tesla's nothing, or I don't know, even uh, Microsoft, Bill Gates, right? I mean, Bill Gates yeah. left and Microsoft lost her little magic. little bit of the, the magic, yeah. What do you, what do you think when, when, when those two get mixed up too much? It's like the CEO is more important than the brand. Well, I mean, that, 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 that is problematic, isn't it? Because they are kind of the brand. Um, like Steve Jobs was kind of a big part of the Apple brand. Now, luckily, Apple has done a lot of great storytelling and branding, and he drove that. So there is still a legacy of that. Um, you know, people might debate that, and we have to be careful, right? Because, <laughs> you know, <clears throat> some people might lie, love... You know, Apple and PC people, you know, that's been a war forever. Oh, yeah. You know, Apple and Android, this is not our fight to fight. But, um, but, you know, what they did a great job of in the beginning, well, not in the beginning, but at that turning point, you know, like this story of, you know, having a thousand songs in your pocket, for example. It's not like buy this gadget, it plays music. It's a cool gadget. It's like, right, have a thousand songs in your pocket. You know, that's like a... This is why everyone wants to sound like Apple. doesn't mean you should all go out now and try and sound like Apple because <laughs> we're sick of... Everyone's sick of everyone trying to do that. Um, but you need to sort of forge your own stories and your own voice. And then I think that your brand can, can withstand you leaving a bit more. I guess, you know, the big problem, like with, um, say, for example, with Elon Musk and Tesla, is that he's the one putting out... feels like he's the comms person. Yeah, as well he's, he's, like the he's comms the machine he's the whole yeah so thing, it's yeah. not just that um it's the way that he speaks that you're hearing it's literally that's pretty much the only thing i hear about tesla is you know something in the press something on twitter that's what i know about tesla i don't really see when was the last time you saw something about tesla that not, not wasn't even, out of his mouth Exactly. So, yeah. So I guess that's maybe the difference between Apple then and Tesla is that maybe it shouldn't, you shouldn't be the, the comms manager as well as the brand voice. <laughs> that's you very know, true. I was, just think, I was just thinking if we try to sell live chat as Apple, like have 1,000 messages in your pocket, it will not work. <laughs> it will definitely exactly. not work. Exactly. And that's why everyone needs to do their own research with their <laughs> own customers. Um, very true. You know, this is, This is something that I talk about um, quite a lot about um, positioning because, you know, if you're doing this voice of customer research, then you can learn a lot about your own positioning. And I talk about this. There's the, the unique value prop, which we all know about, right? And then I talk about a useless value prop because to find out your, your UVP, you need to know what you do well, what your competitor does well, what your competitors do well and what your customers want. But a lot of the time, we spend a lot of time looking at what our competitors or, you know, maybe someone, someone we look up to like Apple, we look at what they do 
and they seem to be doing something that we think is cool or they've changed their branding or they've released a new feature or a new product. And we tend to assume that because they're a bigger brand than us or they've been around longer, that that's successful. That's a, been a successful choice that they've made um, or, or that it's been data-based. Um, but actually, all that really matters is whether your customers actually want that thing <laughs> that, that your competitor has done. And again, it's so going like, back to what the customers want. Yeah. It, you, so this is what a lot. I see it happen with SaaS all the time because SaaS are always releasing features. And I'm sure it happens in pretty much every industry. Like if you're an e-commerce brand, you know, you see like, you know, one of your arch rivals is selling a lot of this type of shoe. You know, <laughs> oh, we need to get on and get this kind of shoe in because they've got this shoe um, you know, and I'm seeing ads for it everywhere. It doesn't necessarily mean that that's what your customers want as well, just because your competitor is selling that shoe. <laughs> so you need to go and do this um, voice of customer research, not just for your brand voice, but also just to know what they actually want. <laughs> okay, so let me go back to um, our main, uh, our sort of main dish for today. So um, yeah. I'm going to ask you um, to th describe the process in general. Because um, even one of the questions in the chat was like, how do you collect voice of customers or like the, the customer's data, which you mentioned a little bit, but how will you take I it from I beginning to, to end? Yeah, so, um, so, you know, when I'm sitting down to do a copy project, which you can do the exact same yourselves, um, try this at home, kids, actually try this at home. You, you know, first of all, I would want to get to know my client. But, you know, if you're doing this in-house, hopefully you know your own product and you don't need to go through the rigorous... <laughs> thing that I need to do um, but then the next thing is to get out of that mindset and see it from the customer's point of view so yeah so I did touch on you know surveys and um, review mining what do I mean by that so literally I will create a survey and it can be you can use something as simple as type form um, to create a survey and email it out now I don't do the emailing my client does but let me give you some example questions let me tell you what I'm looking for so there's like four buckets that I have that I'm going to put actual full quotes and phrases from interviews, from reviews, from testimonials, from, you know, chat data, wherever I'm grabbing it all from. Um, and I'm going to put it in four buckets. Now you can use, you know, uh, a, a spreadsheet or, you know, actually put four hats and fedoras out on the table. I don't care. You need four <laughs> buckets. You need to understand the pain points or struggles that your customers are going through before they go and look for a product or solution like yours. Um, and you need to understand it in their own words. So that's one bucket, the struggle or the pain point. Um, another one is their desire. Now, be careful here because we often think if we're selling, um, if we're selling uh, say, a, a CRM, you think, oh, their desire is to have a CRM. That's not the desire. That's not, yeah. <laughs> The desire I'm looking for is why do they want that, you know, and, and often you get some hints from that struggle or pain point of, you know, if the pain point for a CRM might be, you know, we missed closing a sale, you know, or a customer success platform, you know, we missed making a sale because a competitor got in there first, we missed, you know, getting back to them in time or giving them the right offer. Um, so that's a pain point. And the desire is, you know, to make more money, maybe, or to, you know, get out of work on time and see your kids, <laughs> you know, when we're talking about business tools, yep. you know, there's actual deeper, more ardent desires or to look cool in front of your colleagues, right, by choosing the right tool. <laughs> you know, there's loads of different reasons. 
you know, or the, the different desires that people have. Um, and that's what you need to, to dig through. And you need to keep going and going until you find themes. That's the bit that gets a bit boring unless you're really tenacious. So the, so the third bucket is um, hesitations and anxieties. These are the things that stop people from clicking your CTA. So, um, you know, why, why do people almost buy from you but just, just don't? They just don't at the last minute. So say, for example, you know, say you've got a free trial button and you don't require a credit card, but you haven't told them, you know, beneath the button that no credit card required then that you've created a hesitation that shouldn't even doesn't even need to exist right yeah exactly um, they don't even know, you know about it. yeah because i mean this is why in SaaS we we often have free trials is to try and take as much hesitation away as possible and let them sh- try the product um but then you know we failed at the last hurdle just because we didn't communicate that you know there's one less thing to worry about you're not going to suddenly for- you're not going to forget and just suddenly get debit on your card um so that's an example of a hesitation and then the other one that I like to try and find out, and it's, this is a tricky one, is um, the, the triggers or, you know, the straw that breaks the camel's back. So you might go around with pain, like a pain point or a struggle for a long time. Like my husband chipped his tooth the other day. He hasn't been to the dentist. He doesn't love going to the dentist. So he has like a very real pain point, right? <laughs> but he probably won't phone the dentist until half of it falls out in a toffee and then he's in real pain right and that's the trigger that will send him going to the dentist so what is that point that actually makes people take action because often you know it's easy for people to be inactive and just you know oh you know this thing I use now is a bit of a pain but it's easier just to carry on with it so what is the one thing that like kind of spurs them it could be something like that happens to them like the tooth breaks (laughs) or it could be you know, that um, he sees a special offer on, you know, uh, an ad for a special offer at the dentist for cheap checkups. And it's like, oh, that's handy. That's come up at the right time. Um, But usually it's going to be like a push on their end. So that's how you're going to organize the data. (laughs) This is is fascinating. I'm loving it. (laughs) And, And you can hopefully, if you're in marketing or sales, you can see that by doing this, we know how to kind of build a bridge now between like where somebody is now and, and, and the problems that they're having and the solution that we have, if, if it's right for them, because I'm very much into, you know, we don't, we, we don't need to sell my husband like a whole load of orthodontics. He might just need like a crown or something, right? So, you know, we <laughs> want to build that bridge between, you know, the solution that we have and where they are now and be able to overcome objections in our copy on our website um maybe they have some fears about changing things um or or trying something new and we can write some content around that maybe we can get a testimonial from one of our customers while we're at it who you know even better if you can get a testimonial from somebody who wasn't 100 sure and then they tried it um and you know it, another thing that you can start to look for as well is the success that they had after so what are they able to do so this is actually one of the questions that i will ask people you know um is what are you able to do now that you have this product or service that you weren't able to do before 
So, you know, hopefully when my husband goes to the dentist, he'll be able to say, well, now I can enjoy toffees again. Um, you know, but it's a simplistic example. But, you know, what that is, that's, that's really useful when your content, copy, sales pitches, everything else, because you can use it to future, they call it future pacing and copywriting. It's really paint, just painting a picture of the future that you could have with this thing. You know, so like the future without the pain and with your ardent desire, you know, kind of realized. Um, so you make it very it, tangible for them, right? So you're making it yeah. super clear. Like, look, if you don't go to the dentist, you might get an infection. You might die. Exactly. Oh, there's septicemia and all sorts. God, yeah. I could go and scare. He is actually in the house. Um, this, he might think I've set this whole thing up just to nag him to go to the dentist. Yeah, exactly. Like, I can't believe you did a whole <laughs> podcast just for me to go to the dentist. <laughs> Yeah, so you can see now, I hope that it starts to make sense how that would become useful for creating content, for empathizing with people um, and for, you know, even things like, uh, you know, the, the sales copy or even pitching people for your salespeople to include or customer success managers to, to talk about. Um, so it's kind of cyclical. It, it, it comes in via all of these channels and then you kind of, put it back out there and it's kind of mirroring and reflecting um wow that sounds deep man i know, I know. <laughs> I like, and and just so you know at home yesterday we were talking about hot dogs that's how we go through <laughs> through like we're literally talking about the guinness world record of um hot dogs eating which i want to break one day but yeah yeah Sorry, continue. But this is this is the kind of thing you know so you this is this is like next level this is next level stuff right where you actually find out you know little quirks about people and it you know not everybody is selling um products that you know like lots and lots of of lower price products some people might be listening and they have a, a high ticket item um and in that case you really want to get to know very specifically those individual prospects you know i'm i'm talking about a, a method for kind of understanding your your ideal customer and how they think and speak um, and what they want and what they care about, what's important to them. But then you've got that next level of, okay, um, if I want to sell something to you, I might like make, bring up that joke about the, you know, like the hot dog eating contest. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you can, you, you can get really granular if you've got that kind of um, account-based marketing set up to that level. It gets a bit creepy, I guess, but um, yeah, you have to be careful how approaching <laughs> i have a few um very <laughs> interesting questions in the chat but before we get to the questions I hope they're not too difficult <laughs> no no not at all i think i think um some of them actually i i, I still want to know too what's your opinion um but let me let me go back to to our main um to stick to our main dish for now yeah um so you have this understanding you understand all right you figure out all the all the stuff do you use a because funnel is a word that is, in my opinion, is way overused. People mm. use funnel for everything. I mean, I use it for marketing, sales use it for sales, and whatever. Do you organize this into a sort of funnel or you have a different structure? So most people hire me to write their web copy or a landing page. Um, and some, I do sometimes write content, although I don't normally tell anybody. But it, like if it's a client that I really, really love and we've got a you know, kind of really aligned and they need it, then um, there are a couple of clients I've kept on for content as well. 
So I'm not necessarily thinking about like, you know, this whole funnel mapping thing. But I am thinking about the um, like the seven stages of awareness. I don't know if you've read Eugene Schwartz's breakthrough know, advertising, yeah, but even if you haven't read the whole thing, or even if you want to pretend that you've read the whole thing by saying that you've heard about the seven stages of awareness. Yeah, yeah, those are seven. I ruined yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, those seven things. Yeah, Eugene Schwartz, a famous book. Um, so I think about that you know, that kind of level of funnel. I'm not necessarily constantly thinking about, you know, um, that that strategy of top, middle and bottom. I used to do that a lot more when I was asked to do more inbound content. Um, I was more obsessed with that top, middle, bottom funnel idea. Now I'm more obsessed with this getting them from one side of the bridge of, of maybe being problem aware. Like I know I have a toothache um, to this is the best dentist in your area, you know, like in getting them through those steps. Um, that's probably more the obsession rather than the funnel thing. And also, you know, I'm British and I just don't think that we respond to, you know, those kind of like really convoluted funnels very well, you know, with the tripwire offer of this and then, you know, buy this for a dollar and then all the deal stacking and, you know, those convoluted kind of that kind of funnel. Um, but you know you can't deny it there are people who are more aware of a product or a service or a problem or a solution than others and, I, I, and they should be those, dealt with differently yeah, yeah I feel that those people are easier in a way because they're just like oh, they're just, let's cut the BS I know exactly what you have you know I want it how are we going to make this happen well you can find this kind of thing out so um, uh, if you don't um, if you're not on his newsletter go and try and get on Joel Klepp Key's newsletter. I'll tell you how to spell it afterwards. <laughs> um, I'll find it. <laughs> he um, he sends out you know copywriting tips, and and one of them was um, looking at just simply looking at your at the search referral traffic and seeing what people are putting in. Um, and if people are looking for best this and best that or cheapest this, that they're already in comparison shopping mode. You know, and this is why a lot of um, businesses will put you know, comparison pages up. And the more honest they are, the better. Because those people just want to know the deal. You know, this one has slight, slightly different way of charging or this one has a slightly tweaked feature that's just slightly better fit for me. And, and why not? You know, people in that, at that level who are comparison shopping, they're going to comparison shop whether you're talking to them or not. So you might as well talk to them, be honest, because those are your highly aware problem-aware, solution-aware people, they just need to know the deal. They just need to know, you know, these are, these are the core features. I've got, already got a checklist in my head of what I want if I'm at that level. So you don't need to take them on this big, long, rambling funnel or a big, long, rambling landing page where I'm needling the problem and, you know, agitating the problem, mirroring their pain and all of that. It's just like, oh, you want... Um, you want a tool that helps you track like how people scroll through your pages on your website. Oh, well, here's Mouseflow or Hotjar and he here are the differences, you know, <laughs> and this is how much it costs. That's what I want to know, right? I already know what I need it for. So yeah, those are the easiest to sell for. And then there's kind of like, the, and then the, therefore probably the cheapest to sell to, <laughs> you know, you're going to get the highest return on, on, on investment from focusing on those, but they're a smaller population. And that's why we do things like what we're doing now, 
software, we've put content out there and people might not even have the problem right now. But when they run into that problem, hopefully they'll remember you or me <laughs> um, and they might call us up with a question um, or go and seek more content from us. So, so yeah, it's all let valuable. Me, let me stop you there with a, with a, a marketing question right now. Um, because yeah, like you said, yeah, people will might not need you right now, but eventually when the problem arises, they will remember you, right? So mm -hmm. there is something that marketers have been fighting for a while, which is to convince uh, board of directors or higher level people in the company that brand awareness is a thing. I mean, yeah. having people to remember your brand is something important, not just a vanity metric. So how how yeah. how much you value the the brand awareness in, in your in your process? Well, I think it's really important. I mean, it's been important for me and I'm tiny, right? I'm, I'm pretty much one person on, on the copywriting side. It's just me. Um, and then on the other side, it's me and Mark with the product on borders. And yet when we have physically, well, not physically, but, you know, we, when we have spoken to people for free, one-to-one, -one, we've had people come back to us um, or refer us to other people who have got money to spend. So... You know, if I can see it on my tiny like micro scale that that works, um, that kind of value first and, and being memorable. Yeah, you know, the only thing I fail at a bit is being a bit inconsistent with LinkedIn. You know, like that's one of my main fishing grounds, and I'm not consistent there, so it's a bit naughty. Um, but but you know, to be consistent there, because it's one thing them remembering you, but it's another thing them finding you again, right? So yeah. if I don't keep showing up, then I might not well, be there. There was this lady, um, she used to write a lot, yeah. <laughs> like, so for example, with the triggers, we talked about, you know, finding out what people's triggers are. If I'm not there when the tooth gets cracked on the toffee, then they're not going to come to my dentistry, right? Exactly. So, yeah, so it, 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 it is important. Um, I think a lot of people poo-poo it because it's hard to measure, it's hard to track, it's not, you know, everything's got... Everything got a lot of things got really easy to track and get a, an obvious return on investment from, and then you know that's what became you know kind of sexy and attractive. Um, yeah. So, I, but yeah, you can't knock it. I bet if you were to take away the budget that some of the big brands spend on, you know, what what we call in the UK above the line advertising, you know, like yeah. TV and radio and you know, billboards, and I bet if you took that chunk of budget away and just tossed it then everything else would fail. In fact, I've kind of seen that from my performance ad days. When people weren't doing like the brand, brand awareness ads, then it kind of has a knock-on effect because you get fewer people visiting their website just generally to have a look um, or visiting like a microsite. Maybe you might be sending somebody from an ad to like a fun microsite where you could maybe change the wheels on the Audi or something like that. You know, and okay, change the okay. colors on this like, cool microsite. It's not actually a sales thing. We're not selling somebody an Audi through that ad. You can't. Um, but, you know, there are other conversion metrics you can, you can handle. But what that does is it provides, you know, a, a big bucket of people into the pot that you can build a lookalike audience from. And then, you know, you can make more intelligent marketing decisions based on that data. If you don't have that data, if you're not sort of doing those brand exercises, then, then you do lose out. But yeah, then there's a the whole outdoor thing and other stuff that you can't measure at all. But I have no doubt that it makes an impact. 
Nice. So I was going to finish the, the our talk before we move into a few questions outside. Um, sure. With two things. Authenticity as, or the importance of authenticity right now, and also retention. Um, I noticed, and I, I actually, I got this question out of a LinkedIn post that I read today. It's like, we figure out things till the moment of purchase, but we forget that retention is so important, if not more important than other things. I mean, mm -hmm. like the dentist, right? Like you might have one little thing, but if you manage to convince your husband, like this is the only dentist we're gonna visit from now on, that's, that's a done deal. That's something big. Yeah. So, so authenticity is, and retention. Okay. I'll start with the retention because I'll forget about it otherwise because I just had a good, you know, really milking this dentist analogy and um, <laughs> I'm going to keep going. So say he, he, goes to, um, he goes to the dentist and, you know, he's been hesitant. We know he's been hesitant because of our voice of customer research. He's been hesitant. He had bad experiences as a kid, you know, at the dentist. This dentist... Um, he chose that dentist because they offer a sedative, say, you know, something to soothe the nerves or acupuncture or hypnotherapy, something like that that appeals to him that make, will make him calm down. Chooses that one based on, on, on them overcoming that objection. Then he goes in there and they do a horrible job and they just come at him with pliers. Well, <laughs> you know, then he's never going to go back to them again. If he has a wonderful experience, or, you know, can't even remember it, comes out high as a kite. You can bet he's going to tell everybody, go to that dentist. In fact, we have a dentist on this island. Everyone raves about her. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know if she's getting everyone high or not. But <laughs> 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 I don't want to get her in trouble. Um, but, you know, that, that retention piece is really important, right? And it's not just retaining that customer because it's really expensive to, like, win them back or replace them. But, you know, that, that whole flywheel, I do believe in that whole flywheel thing of, you know, when somebody's had a good experience, they're going to go and refer you to other people. So this is where actually, you know, like not, I don't want to keep plugging my stuff, but this is why Mark and I, when we, did, we, we came up with the product on Borders, was because we saw that people were getting to grips with getting people to take up a free trial, but they weren't getting to grips with getting them to stick around and to try the product and get a bit further along. Um, and that's before they've even paid. And then you get churn problems, you know, whether it's, you know, whatever you're selling, you know, if you're selling, you know, if somebody's buying. Can you hear all this dog noise? I hope it's I, not I do, out. but I think it's because a car was just um, passing by or coming in. So. <laughs> that's okay. I that's apologize okay. This all, oh, and this brings me on to authenticity. I don't authenticity, know if I there the we go. We, it's not that we planned this. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, you know, this is authenticity. This is a coconut wood house. It looks like a shed, but it's really where I live. You know, I, mean, I would love to have a fancy background. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's, or, or can authenticity be detrimental? Yeah, probably it can. You know, it might put off some customers. But at the end of the day, do I want to work with a client who's going to judge me for living in a coconut grove? Because at some point it's going to come out. <laughs> then I'm going to have a retention problem. <laughs> so, you know, so yeah, that I think, um, you know, I think on the retention side, you're right. People forget about it. Um, you know, you, you should be infusing the way your, your customer service um, uh, communications with voice of customer as well and being empathetic um, and, and keeping that, keeping that, that kind of, that, that vibe alive otherwise you create like a value gap of oh you seemed like a really fun like you know if you invite somebody out for a date 
and they like seem really fun and then you take them on the date and they're really dull like <laughs> you know, they're probably not going to get a second date and they're probably going to think that it's kind of strange so yeah keeping that same tone and persona and um you know your brand voice consistent throughout the whole experience i think is is important to retention too so i'm going to jump did I answer the question? yeah yes you did you did i just um, <laughs> I to be know, honest it was a bit. It was a bit of a trick question because I just wanted you to back me up with retention as an important thing. So uh, we did. We did. That's good. Is this was this one of the boss's requests? We need to talk about. There we go. I I managed to do it. Nice. So um, I'm just going to jump in a really um question. It's an important question actually because um I'm just going to use our own example. Um, the question is first of all, how do you distinguish your content from your competitors, uh, when you have the same audience, right? And for example. Us as in live chat, uh, we're definitely not the only live chat service around the world. I mean, we send this, Intercom, Drift, uh, you name it. But we have to find our own little things that we can plug in to say, oh yeah, we're not them, we're, we're us, and because of this and mm -hmm. this and that. So what do you recommend for companies that they have a, a very competitive market to well, this is kind of like what I think I've been hoping, hope I've been trying to tell everybody for the last 40 minutes is like sometimes there's not a lot of difference between you and a competitor. So the difference has to be something else. You, you may even have a very similar feature list to somebody else, um, but they might not be selling it very well. I found out in voice of customer, you know, interviews that, um, you know, that, that a feature that my client thought was not that important was actually really really important more important than the main thing they were pushing you know this client was like them they thought the most important thing was that, that people could white label it and i found out it was something completely something that seemed really banal it was like a time tracker <laughs> feature and and you know and, and it just completely turned everything on its head because you know this is completely different messaging we need now um so you might think that everything is the same or you have very similar products and a very similar audience, but you have to find the niche. You have to find it, whether it's, you know, and I don't mean just keep building features or, you know, trying everything crazy all the time, different things all the time. But, you know, by, by doing this kind of research, you can often find out what that niche is. Um, and it could be something as simple as, I, and it came up in another um, voice of customer research, um, in one of the surveys, one, one guy replied that he didn't like the founder's um, attitude. Oh, wow. <laughs> and that was one person, right, out of thousands. And then when I spoke to his, ha and this person had left, because I, I often survey people that, you know, churned or whatever as well. Um, and then when I surveyed his happiest customers that were spending lots and buying the biggest plans, they loved the way this guy speaks. They love the fact that he's a straight shooter, straight talker, doesn't take any nonsense, but he's very helpful, um, but he's not going to take nonsense. And they admired that in him. So something that you might think, oh, you know, he was kind of a bit embarrassed. He's like, oh, I think people think I'm a bit of a, you know, complete. <laughs> um, and, and it was actually in one of the replies and one of the responses. But then it turned out to be kind of like one of his golden selling points in the end. So we even put that in his bio, you know, that that he's a straight talker. Um, and I think that in his industry, because it's a, in the real estate industry, people are so used to perhaps people being a little bit slippery 
that um, they kind of find him refreshing the fact that he's kind of no nonsense and he just tells it how it is. He doesn't, you know, kind of sell you up all the time. So, yeah, it's the, it's in there. You just got to dig, guys. <laughs> it's all about, yeah, it's all about the research, eh? Yeah. So, Helen, uh, I do, yeah, I do have one more question. Um, in your opinion, what is the audience that is the hardest to reach which is the, the most difficult to reach with your communication either generation wise or job position wise oh i mean you know usually it's going to be you know the higher up the role you know when it comes to things like kind of producing this producing content often higher the higher up the the person and, and the bigger the company they're going to be harder to reach with content marketing um, and that's where things like account-based marketing come in which is not my not my zone of genius um, but you know you need to get a lot more creative you know you hear about people sending direct mail which you know we haven't done for about 25 years <laughs> um, but you know like it's sort of making a comeback because no they get a billion emails but they might open that one letter that they've had this week um, So, yeah, I think that, you know, that those high senior roles in large companies, they're hard to get to. They have gatekeepers. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they are really busy. It could be anybody, really, that's time poor as well is, is difficult to reach. Um, you know, it's easy for me to reach to, you know, most of my clients' customers because they are usually tech savvy. So they're going to be all over the digital stuff. So that's like not really, I guess I've managed to niche my way around that problem. Maybe everyone else not should. Bad. Um, <laughs> but, you know, then I've got copywriter peers who um, do, you know, direct response for health supplements. So there's a way to reach people that I can't, I would never fathom how to reach, you know, that goes into print and goes through letterboxes. Dogs again. <laughs> There's another car. That's why I can see the car. Why are people driving around when we're doing a podcast? <laughs> Don't they know? <laughs> Didn't you send a letter to the 10 people that live in the island? Come on. I know. There's like, like literally about four houses around here. But <laughs> I have to have the window open or I'll melt because I'm British and we're not used to this. Kind of, I'm seven years in and still melting in this climate. <laughs> so, Helen, um, I know there are tons of other things that we could discuss forever, uh, especially content-wise and stuff. And for those of you um, watching or listening to this, I just want to remind you that Helen's not only has um, her own company that we will add the link below, but also you're part of Growth Mentor. Yes. Um, so you can reach Helen to Growth Mentor. We're colleagues there. And you can basically just chat to her and explain her what's your pain points and what are your pain points. And she will help you out and figure out a way to, for you to get things done. My sessions so, are still free there, so you only have to pay for the subscription for the Growth Mentor, and I'm still free, so get them while you can. There we go. It's a free is a magic word in the marketing right. world. Helen, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, it was a blast. I, I learned a lot, and I've been here for a long uh, time. So I'm uh, learning stuff too, because uh, it's interesting to hear from somebody who I think of as an, in the embodiment of a brand voice um, and having this chat. Yeah. I, I loved it as well. And for those of you, again, listening or watching, thank you for coming today. And we'll see you next time. Thank you, Helen. Bye-bye. Thank you.